What's shaking, cats and kittens? Thank you for supporting my podcast and my sustaining partners. I want to tell you about one of them right now, Charmington Holistics. Do you know what an apothecary is? Well, an apothecary makes and provides medicines. Charmington Holistics specializes in all natural herbal remedies and is an apothecary. So, what's ailing you? Can't sleep? Got a stomach ache? Got the blues? Well, head on over to Charmington Holistics where you can find herbal support for anything you need. A personal blended tea, herbal tonic, and supplements can offer you an alternative to that Advil bottle while an in-house herbalist listens to your needs as well. Charmington Holistics is your source for all things herbal. Head on over to 425 South Conklin Street in Highland Town or visit Charmington Holistics on Instagram, Facebook, or TikTok. And Charmington Holistics is open 12 to 5 on Fridays, Saturdays, and Sundays. Head on over, check them out, tell them Rob Lee sent you. Welcome to Getting to the Truth in This Art. I am your host, Rob Lee. And today's guest is a pop culture polymath who lives on the internet, host and producer of the Armchair Artur. Please welcome Dominic Griffin. Hey, thanks for having me on, man. Totally. Thank you for, for coming on. We had a nice, rousing, uh, energetic conversation before we got started. Yes, we did. Uh, so I followed your, your, your reviews on the gram and... I feel, I feel like we've, got, we've gotten close. I feel like we've gotten yeah, close. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> so for, for the fine folks out there who are uninitiated, undipped, un, un, unlathered, if you will, um, <laughs> describe your work and what is, I'm going to say it really corny, what is a polymath, you know, pop culture polymath? So uh, that, that phrase okay. that I put in like all my bios online for stuff comes from a few years ago, several years this is like eight years ago now never mind i'm saying a few it's like eight years ago i started writing for this site called deadshirt.net uh that some mm -hmm. friends ran and uh, i primarily did movie reviews for them but i wrote about i wrote about comics or about music or about wrestling i wrote about like whatever you know like i just liked i liked making content and i loved all the people that i'm still very close to the people that work there and uh the founder and editor-in-chief dylan roth is still a very good friend of mine when he was describing me, I don't know if this was to someone else or just like in a conversation, but he were, that's what he called me. It was like a pop culture polymath because he was like, every day I discover some new shit <laughs> you were weirdly well-versed in, you know? And like I've, over the years, I've had friends who will like, who will know me from one shared interest and know that I know a lot about that thing. And yeah. then we'll casually switch topics. And then like, how do you know about that too? Like, you're not supposed to know that much about all this stuff. And it's like, like I grew up on like the internet and like, I don't, I, I, I didn't do sports, you know what I mean? When I was a kid, I, I, I liked football a lot. But when I got to high school, my mom didn't want me to get CTE. So I did theater and I, I read a lot of stuff. You know what I mean? So like, I just, I've always been really big into just like television, movies, I've just like my whole life. So um, so I'm, I'm uh, primarily a film critic by trade. Like it's not like my day job yet, unfortunately, but I like, you know, I'm, I'm like a legit film critic now. I've been reviewing movies professionally for eight years. Like I've been, uh, I've been Rotten Tomatoes, Tomato Meter approved for a couple of years now, which is pretty cool. <laughs> I'm in the Washington Area Film Critics Association. I just applied to join the Critics Choice Association. I don't know if I'm going to get in or not, but if I do, it's going to be kind of cool. Uh, and I just, I like, I, I used to write about so many more things. Mm -hmm. And then at some point I realized like, well, I feel like I'm the best at communicating my thoughts and ideas about movies more so than I like, I, I used to write album reviews and music and stuff too, but I felt like I was not as gifted at that as I wanted to be. And rather than like continuing to do it in a half-assed way, I was like, well, I'll just do movies. I know movies, I've, been, I've known movies since birth. This is just gonna be my bread and butter. So uh, I write my film reviews primarily right now. My main outlet is uh, looper.com. I freelance for them a lot. Uh, but then like my main, main outlet is my YouTube channel, the Armchair Outdoor, where I put out primarily new release reviews. Sometimes I do reviews of older movies or video essays on specific topics. Sometimes I do TV. I've done a couple of videos about wrestling and like other stuff, but like, yeah, the idea is just sort of, I wanted an outlet where I could just be me 100%. Like I like writing for other sites. I like writing for other people more than happy to do so. And especially when I, I get paid to do it, but I like having the YouTube channel for me is just like, it's all me. I don't have an editor. I don't have anyone that helps me with it. It's just me in my little room, thinking my little thoughts out loud <laughs> and sharing that with the world. And like, uh, I like it. I like ha having it being like a pure uncut thing of like, this is what I think about stuff. Here's, here's, what, here's what I'm watching lately. Here's what I'm thinking about watching. Here's what disappointed me. Here's what excited me. Uh, and I, I think, 
I got very into it during the pandemic, obviously, because I was like forced into unemployment and I was just in my apartment every day, losing my mind. And it was like, it was a good way to, I really miss going to screenings for movies with friends and like talking afterwards. Like, you know, you're in the parking lot talking about the last scene you saw and debating stuff. I missed all that. So I just replicated it by myself in my room, basically just <laughs> me at my iPhone, just like having conversations with all of my imaginary friends out there. Uh, and it's, it's been going pretty well so far. That's, that's great. And you know, I'll, I'll gas you up even further. Like when I, when there's a movie that I'm on the fence about that's like, okay, I think I might like this. I think I might, I might not, I'm not sure what are we doing. I use you as kind of that, that person who's like, okay, what did Dom say? Oh, okay, cool. Uh-huh. You said that bet. So <laughs> yeah, you know, like that's literally how, how that goes for me. And I don't really do that. Like, cause I find like there and, there, and there's a question related to the, to, to DC later, but it relates to that. I just feel like it was one year where I saw a lot of weird reviews. I was like, that's not even accurate. Like from what I saw. And it's like, it's like when I watch, I think movie reviews and movie fandom turned into like sports talk. It's like, it's just fandom in the way, like under the guise of this is going to be a critical analysis. Yeah. And I, I can't jam with that shit there's a really unfortunate thing that has happened in film criticism as a whole. And you can trace it all the way back to like, ain't it cool news and stuff like that, where (laughs) I don't, I feel like there was a period where everyone was like, it's not fair that all these stuffy hoity toity, like New Yorker film critics look down on uh, movie nerd bloggers. It's not fair that we look down on these guys as being different. And at that time, like 10 years ago, let's say maybe, that argument kind of held water. Cause it was like, yeah, every, people from all walks of life should be able to review films and share their opinions and stuff like that. Like I, I, I used to not like that sort of, I, I consider it elitism to look down on just because a guy is goofy and writes about the blade movies instead of like Truffo, it's still film criticism. But uh, over the last 10 years or so as like the nerds and like, just like nerdery fanboy stuff, won the culture war now that like geeks are the new jocks, yeah. Now I think we're I think everyone who thought we got to get guys like Harry Knowles out of film criticism I think they were right they were 100 right I think <laughs> all of these nerds who can only talk about storytelling and media if it's related to Star Wars or something that they liked when they were a kid the people that just could never branch out I think they're really bad for for everything because these people are so loyal to their characters and these ideas mm-hmm. or whoever their favorite superhero is their favorite whatever the hell. And they don't understand that to be effectively loyal to those fictional imaginary characters, they then have to be loyal to the corporations that own them. And I think it's just a very weird world to be in when a new superhero movie comes out and the first line of defense and discourse is just people who would literally shoot their mother if if it would give them another Disney movie this year. Like if it means, like earlier today I saw a tweet about the theoretically impending uh, IETS strike and stuff and like, you know, how all the new media and Hollywood is really screwing over like set painters and stuff. And, you know, they might go on strike. I don't know if it's going to happen or not. Who knows? But I saw a guy respond to a tweet about it, angry that it would might mean that the Marvel movies would get halted. And my first thought was like, you're responding to an article that literally features quotes from people who do this for a living, who are like, I'm being so poorly paid and so poorly treated that I can't pay my rent. I can't take care of my family. And your first thought is what if I don't get a new Hulk? Right. You know, my pop and like, culture. To me, yeah. <laughs> it's my pop culture. My, my, so to me, it's like that has heavily seeped into film criticism for the most part, because the only places in the, in the world where you can actually write online and get paid to write about movies you are sites that are frequented by these people. So no matter what you write about, you have to write about it with an eye towards the guy who wants the post-credit scene explained to him or whatever. You know what I mean? The guy who wants to, what was that Easter egg? What what, connected to this shared universe thing? So it's like people choose whatever their favorite shared universe is and it becomes their personality and it becomes who they are. And anything that doesn't fit into the specific brand of storytelling they now like, they hate, you know? And it's like, it's sad and it's weird. And I find myself getting into super weirdo arguments online sometimes where I'm like, why am I arguing with this person? And this person literally right now is talking to me and I know there's a wall of Funko Pops behind them. <laughs> why am I arguing with them? I'm just going to go on about my day, man. You got it. You know, like if that's how you felt about Justice League, then that's how you felt about it, I guess. I'm going to yeah. go for a walk. 
I, I, I mean, I, I remember at one point um, that it, it was a, a podcaster, radio host that I liked a lot. And you, you might know who he is, but I liked, liked a lot. And then when the, they had the trailer for maybe Civil War, you saw Spider-Man in it and all of that stuff. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. That's pretty comic accurate. And, I was, and I'm thinking about the comics that I've seen. You know, like, oh, the eyes are weird. It's extended and all of that different shit, right? And he got to an argument with me about this. And I was like, hold up. I was like, all right, cool. And he was just like, yeah, well, that's not the, the comics that I read. And I was like, yeah, but were they, you know, they're more than one artist, right? And I'm just doing this whole thing. And, and he just blocked me. And I was like, really? Wow. So... <laughs> Not we, my Spider-Man. <laughs> right. You know, and then we go years later and then I see that he got fired for saying some wild racist shit. And I was like, oh, he came at me because I'm a black dude. Yeah. You yeah. really That's probably really know who it is. is like some, <laughs> so I, hate, I hate to conflate like uh, pop culture taste with praxis. I hate to say like someone who likes X means Y. But yeah. it is really funny when you when you actually see someone's like dumb superhero takes and you're like yeah that does seem like something a racist person would think i get that that's fine a lot of goatees a lot of sunglasses a lot of yeah, the, and the, yeah, the, like, did you are you sending me this tweet from your truck right now are you in your truck in the <laughs> right. parking lot because you don't want to go to see your wife so you're gonna like take how many american me? flags around you right now at this sir, very can you moment take a picture sir can you take a picture of your bumper stickers for me i just need to vet them for security reasons thank you up, oh, you got Calvin Hobbs pissing on something. No, we're not going to talk about nothing. That's over. That's <laughs> we got nothing else to talk about. We're so good. How how has your consumption of film changed um, as you've done more critiques over the like, like as you said the last um, eight years you've been doing it professionally? Um, how has that consumption changed? Maybe in how you consume or the the volume. How's how's that changed over over that period? That's actually interesting. So. I, I feel like I am someone that used to, in like my early 20s, I watched so many fucking movies. Like one of my first jobs was at a video store. I, I worked at a Hollywood video nice. and I would be at work all day and they would have the, uh, I don't know if you've ever seen one of these in your life anymore, but they used to have this video hound guide. It's like a 6,000 page book of like every video that's ever been released. And it's like every movie in alphabetical order, everyone who's in the movie, the plot summary, the director, and like a star rating usually generated from whenever Leonard Moulton thought about the movie. And uh, I would be at work and I would read through that book and I would just pick movies I knew I'd seen because I watched a lot of movies as a kid. Like my grandmother used to just rent videos all the time and dub movies. I'd had so many VHS tapes fixed in my thing with like four or five unrelated movies all in one VHS. Like these movies don't even go together. You just watch all of them over a weekend. Just put a date on there like uh, yeah. this weekend. <laughs> like, okay, we got Lethal Weapon 2 and then we've got like a Christmas movie and then it's just all over the place. So uh, I, what I did was I would go through that list yeah. pick out stuff I'd already seen and I would find out who directed it. I guess IMDb existed, but maybe I just didn't use it. I don't know. And I would make lists of like, okay, clearly I, I like this filmmaker. Clearly I like this person's work. And I would just go get those videos. Uh, I would go home and watch them and then bring them back the next day, work my shift and take home more. So my like early twenties, I was watching like four to five movies a day oh, wow. every day. Like I, all I did was work and watch movies or like watch movies and stay home. I, I didn't, didn't have a lot of fun. Uh, as it grew up, I was like, you know, I go through periods where I won't watch a movie for like three months straight up. I'll just have no interest in watching anything. Yeah. Once I became a film critic, I would obviously watch new things to, to have things to review. But I noticed a lot of my friends are all like big letterbox users, you know, and in my smaller circles of friends who are on Letterboxd, we all get very competitive about your end of the year numbers. You know, like who watched the most movies, who watched the most stuff off their watch list. And every year my boys were just smoking me, you know? <laughs> and I would look at the numbers and they're like 200 movies this year, that's it? And I'm like, well, yeah, cause I'm a critic. Like I have, <laughs> I have homework when I'm done watching a movie. If you're just like a movie bro, you can just watch movies and then yeah. that's it. You don't have anything else to do. You make a pithy joke on Letterboxd and you're done. So for a while I was watching like less and less stuff because anything I watched, I had to review or anything I watched, I had to write about or something. So I, but I did get to a period where once I became a, a big enough critic to where I was getting sent into the year screeners and stuff. And I started to really feel like, you know, if I'm going to be asked to vote on awards and stuff like that, I need to watch more than just what I feel like watching. Yeah. So I started anything a studio would mail me, even if it looked like shit, I would watch it. So like the end of the year, I just have two months of like, what are you doing? I'm watching whatever is on this stack of stuff. 
and hoping for the best. And what I've discovered is the more you, the more you watch, look, here's the thing. When you're a regular person and you watch an average person goes to the movies like 10, 20 times a year, maybe I think probably, yeah. uh, cause people just wait for the big stuff for stuff. They are really looking forward to, or, or they might have a date or they're bored and they go see something random, but in general, that's about the most, right? Yeah. But as a critic, I review most years. I review at least like 50 movies a year this year. I think I'm at like 85. So when you watch that many new movies a year, most of a, a lot of them are just not good. And I don't mean like, I don't mean bad necessarily. Actually, very few of them are even bad. Often they're just like, eh, okay. All right, I'm all whatever. set. <laughs> I'm okay. I watched that. Uh, so, but you get burnt out. So like, sometimes I do want to just watch a movie for fun, but it's like, well, what am I going to watch? I had this whole watch list of stuff I've never gotten to. And half the time I'm like, well, I guess I'm just going to rewatch some random comedy for the fifth time. You know what I mean? Like, cause you know, yeah. I find that watching movies because I'm always thinking about them, always analyzing them, always making content about them. My day job is that I run a movie theater. So I'm around movies 24 seven. There are times when I want to just watch a movie for fun. And I just don't. I yeah. watch TikToks all the time. I watch YouTube <laughs> content. I watch, I watch short form things. Cause it's like, I can spend two hours on YouTube and watch like 30 videos and feel like I got a bunch of interesting yeah. stories or little bits or things that entertain me. Whereas I know that watching movies is sometimes Russian roulette and I might spend that two hours in a movie and it sucks. And then I'm just pissed off <laughs> when I watch it. When I watch a movie that sucks and it's for a review, I just review and talk about how it sucks and I move on. If it's for fun and it was bad, yeah. I can't take that back. I can't get those two hours back. So I'm, I'm more gun shy is what it's done. I'm like, I want to watch a movie, but what if it's mid? I want to watch a movie. What if it's trash? Well, well then, then that, that turns into the question then. So the, to one of the questions where is there like a tell for you? When you're when you're looking at a movie within that first five minutes, I almost want to quote Big Crit in one of the songs he was saying, like you can know if a song is good within the first like twenty seconds. And I kind of use that rubric, like the rubric that me and my girlfriend use is that criteria is if we're watching a movie and you see more than three production companies and you don't know two of them, it's bad. Yeah. It's gonna <laughs> well, be bad. I will say sometimes, <laughs> oftentimes that means it's bad, but sometimes. Very, very rarely. Sometimes it just means someone had a really good idea. They had to get nine motherfuckers to finance. Sometimes this someone's like, I have a cool thing and I really want to get it made. And it's only going to get made with like 19 different loan sharks who all made a standard little logo for themselves. That can be dangerous. I'll, I'll do this. It's almost like we, we have this running bit about, yeah, Apex Realty. It's like, <laughs> that seems like a fake company. I'm not buying a house. So if I go on there and it says Apex Production and like gold collar films, I'm like, no. Yeah, it's, a, it's when, you can, when you can tell that it's like someone's uncle who's a dentist put it on mm -hmm. the production and they were like, make a logo. Like, oh, what if it's like a, a guy with an arrow or something? Yeah, no one cares. They're going to see it for three seconds, man. It's fine. I'll name them after my dog. That's fine too. Whatever. And I think if you have certain elements missing, cause we watch shutter a lot, we watch a lot of horror movies. So if we were watching something on air, you kind of give that a little bit of a pass. I think it's genre specific sometimes. And I think it's, if you have an attachment to someone, it's like, okay, this director, this actor, they're usually in good shit. This director, he has a certain sensibility. She has a certain sensibility that I jam with. You can kind of negate those things, but more often than not, you, you can tell early on, at least we can tell kind of early on when you're watching something, you, you know, it's rare. It's like, you know, I'm like, I'm like a white boy shooting free throws. I'm, I'm pretty high in, in my percentage. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> there was a, there was a, um, there was a rule, a rule I remember reading when I was studying screenwriting and it was saying that there are certain like, uh, executives and stuff, people that people that greenlight movies, you know, and th mm -hmm. there was a, an executive in some screenwriting book I read who said that he uses the nickel and dime rule. If someone gives him a new screenplay. He doesn't read the whole script. He reads the first five pages and the last 10. And if that doesn't make him interested in reading whatever's in the middle, he just doesn't bother. Oh, wow. And when I was yeah. younger, I was like, what a dickhead, dude. Your whole job is reading these fucking things. Do your job, you know? Yeah. But then as I became more like more of an enthusiast of movies and, and screenwriting and stuff, I read, I've read a lot of screenplays just over the years. Okay. Like just like at least a thousand, like at least. And I, when I tell you, I have never read a script that didn't that was good and didn't pass that rule 
You know gotcha. what I mean? Like I've, I've, I've never read something where I read the first five pages and looked at the last 10 and I wasn't interested in reading the rest and then read the rest. It was proven wrong. It's never happened. So like when people talk about having strong openings and good endings and stuff, like a lot of times if a movie's got a really good ending and the rest of it's like, all right, you're not going to remember, you know, no. uh, I, I, I don't remember who said this. It might've been William Wyler, maybe uh, whoever's listening to this is going to be like, it's not that guy, but <laughs> a, a director I remember said that like a movie is really just like, like 10 moments. You know what I mean? Like everything that happens in the middle, you need to happen for the story to work. But if you can, if you have an idea and you can have like five to 10 really cool or impactful or interesting moments, the stuff in between is like, whatever, you know, like if, if people aren't going to remember it for the, for the most part, if you think it like a lot of your favorite movies, you remember a handful of like really dope shit and mm -hmm. then you know what happens the rest of the time, but it's not like important. It, it, it reminds me that the, 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 the piece where you're, you're, you're going to miss something, you're going to forget something that doesn't really matter is so I like to do the, the film revival things and go back and like, if it's a movie that I've never seen in theaters, that's just, I'm ready for it. You know? So if I can, I want to say it was uh, maybe back to the future came up mm -hmm. same year I was born, never seen it in theaters. So I remember me and my girl go there and we had this running bit about like, you know, her dad was a huge, um, uh, not, not Otis Redding, but who was the, the Johnny B. Good dude? Oh, Little Richard? Uh, I don't think good? it was, I don't think it was, it, it, my uh, blackness is gone as a result. Yeah, yeah. So, mine too, it's, it's not healthy. <laughs> so, so her dad is from the same town and he's just like, my fucking white boys making rock and roll, that didn't happen. That's the main bit, right? Yeah. And, so when we get to that scene where it's that casual racism and that kind of attempted uh, sexual assault, my girl's like, I don't remember any of this. I was like, because you remember the beginning and you remember DeLorean's <laughs> and the end. Yeah. And that's just not even just that too, but it's like when people point stuff like that at movies about like, yeah. oh, we don't like, well, I didn't remember this movie. It was this racist. It was transphobic. It's like, well, yeah, because yeah. you saw it when you were eight. What, yeah. Did you have any nuanced opinions about trans people when you were eight? You didn't know, you know, not to say that it makes it okay to those things from those movies, but it's like, we didn't know or remember because when we saw it, those, we didn't have that context. We weren't, we didn't have that education at the time. It wasn't something that was like quite as uh, um, prevalent, like in, in, in the culture, you know? So it's like, yeah. When people watch new things and they do or old things with new eyes and they just do that the whole time, we're like, oh, look at this. I forgot this was this was racist. This was transphobic. It's like, yeah, but it wasn't. I'm not saying when I say it was a different time, I don't mean that to excuse it. Right. I just mean, like, what are you getting from pointing at that? We know it was a different time. We all know that, you know, like we know that that was an era where this was more acceptable and now it's not. And it's good that it's not. I wish it was not then but it was, you know what I mean? So like it, it, when you get too hung up in that, I think it's like, I, I feel like it's very common too with like a lot of like, uh, with like a lot of zoomer kids and stuff you see, like I'm on TikTok a lot. Cause it's like addictive. It's like a fucking yeah. drug. And it's Chuck and, Berry who we were talking about, by the way. Oh, Chuck Berry. Okay. Yeah. I feel so bad. At that. <laughs> uh, but it's like, you'll just see some random 21 year old who's like watched a movie for the first time. And they're like, did you guys know that this movie was, da -da -da -da? it's like, no, you didn't know because you weren't born when they made it. Okay. Like <laughs> what, what, what point are you trying to make? You know, um, that's kind of tiresome, but yeah, no, I think, I think part of it too is like, not just, sorry, I have one other, one other major yeah, thing that I, I look forward to when I go, this is probably going to suck when I can see a bunch of writers listed under the credits, but it's not like if I see like two writers and there's an ampersand, I'm like, that's a writing duo. That's okay. Yeah, yeah. That's they, they work together <laughs> yeah. regularly. But when I see that ampersand and then, and then I see like, like multiple levels of extra writers, I'm like, somebody got fired. Somebody got burned on free rides. That person mm -hmm. got replaced by someone the director liked. That person got replaced by someone the actor liked. It's almost never going to be a good movie. I think the worst offender that I saw recently was not recently anymore, I guess, but the, the last Terminator movie they did, that movie has like eight writers, but it's not because of a bunch of people being brought in different times. They literally wrote it with a room the way they do television. Oh shit. Yeah. And a lot of movies are moving towards that, especially the big temple stuff, like the, all the new transformer shit, everything that's Hasbro starts yeah. with there being like one or two screenwriters running a room of other writers and they just riff and riff and riff and riff. And then, Eventually, it's worth $200 million somehow. Uh, and it just, it doesn't work. It, like, so far, it does not work. I've yet to see one where I'm like, I'm glad this movie had nine writers. It, they, it's, they like, really... 
really all brought it together. It's like really shift towards like we we have a certain degree of television that's really, really good. And you can look at the budgets for some of these um, these like uh, Disney like plus series or what have you. Mm-hmm. You're like, oh, that was how much for the season? Oh, that was six episodes. It was 300 million word. And why not? Why not shift like a Transformers? Like it's the concept, right? Because those after the first live action one or kind of live action CGI one, it became just racist dog shit. It was just not, not as good, especially that second one. I was talking yeah, about the this second one is really rough. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Second one's terrible. And like, instead of doing the, what was it? The, uh, the, Mer- the one that had Merlin in it, like the last one, like the fifth one, just, just say, look, we're going to put that budget towards like a show. You don't really, nobody cares who's Sam Witwicky. <laughs> the only reason that I think that's not happening yet is because, If Transformers was a Disney property, yes, Mm -hmm. because Disney can command and make a lot of money off of Disney Plus and they can get as many subscribers they want to. And, you know, in the long run, they want to try to surpass Netflix. Right. Paramount doesn't have a similar uh, platform like that, because when you're investing that much money into content that is a part of a platform people are paying less than $10 a month for, mm-hmm. you're losing money. You're gaining it from getting the subscribers and stuff and making it making it feel like it's something you cannot not have. Yeah. But otherwise, if you're gonna be spending that much money on something, you have to be able to sell it the attribute because that's how you're gonna get the most people out of the house to spend money on it, like real money on it. And it's the equivalent of a tour then. Yeah, we're all, we're, we're, in these, we're in this weird space now where more and more things are moving to streaming, partially because of the pandemic, partially because everyone that has a streaming platform is trying to grow it. But like long term, I don't I mean, I mean, who knows how the industry is going to go? I don't want to sound like that. But that's, I'm, in my opinion, long term, you can't keep making movies that cost two million dollars or even like one season of a TV show that costs six hundred million dollars or something. And then put it on a thing that you could buy for $6 a month. You know what I mean? You just can't, that money has to go someplace. So like, it's, it's good in the sense that if you grow the, cause these are all corporate run. If you grow the actual stream platform, the Mm -hmm. numbers gained from having new subscribers, you can bring up on like a, you know, a conference call for your investors will help the stock price go up. So that's kind of where the money's going to, you know what I mean? Yeah. But uh, for studios that don't have something like that, like Paramount, like, you, you can't, I mean, I think Paramount even announced they're going to start like pivoting to only making a certain kind of movie for theatrical and focusing on smaller projects that they can put on Paramount plus, I think it's called. Uh, and it's just weird because in these conversations, the number one thing that we're discovering is like studios, corporate run studios want to make big money. So they want to make mm-hmm. huge budget blockbusters because even though you're spending a lot, you stand to gain a lot. No one is interested in spending $20 million in a movie that might make $80 million. That's a fantastic return on investment. It's 400%. Yeah. But you know, it's not creating value for the shareholders. So we're in the situation where now every movie is just going to have to be huge. And then the only way it can be successful is if it's like record breaking and you can't do that every year. Every movie can't break every record unless you're Marvel. Apparently that's, that's a transparency thing too, where you know, I think that they're more out there about their it's the the element of the term show business, right? Showbiz, uh, the biz part is more prominent now than it's been, and I think they're very overt with it. Like, I always thought it was really odd, and I'm sure that there are other things I didn't see any of the movies, but just when I read about a movie missing projections, and then it's like the movie it made 800 million though. It's like, hold up. Like, which, how can it be both? Like, like the, um, the last, uh, Garfield Spider-Man movie. I didn't watch any of those movies that has two, but that was a $200 million movie that was just under 800 million and in, in what it made. And it's like, I don't know what they had in there in terms of marketing and costs like that, but it's like failed projections. Half the time it's because the budget numbers we're seeing are for like the production. And oftentimes the marketing budget is like the same. It's like, it's the same as the production budget. And in some of these wow. cases, sometimes they spend crazy amounts of money on marketing too. So it's like, when you see a movie, some of these movies that hit a billion dollars, it's like, yeah, you're making a crazy amount of money, but it's like from the studio perspective, they're not, you know what I mean? It's, yeah. it's like, it's, if you make, there's a level of like failure you're allowed to do at a low level. Like if I make a $30 million movie and they think it's going to make 70, but it only makes 40. Well, no harm, no foul. You didn't yeah. fuck up. No one's, no one's going to be angry at you necessarily. Right. But some of these movies come out and you're like, how the fuck mm-hmm. <laughs> did you guys spend this much money 
and then they failed. And then sometimes they'll, they'll go, you know, we'll just try it again, but a little different. Like, no, learn the, learn the <laughs> Let's right reboot this. <laughs> like, I mean, honestly, I think something that's happening in our culture too, is that reviews don't matter the same way. Right. Like, mm-hmm. you know, like, 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 you know, we've talked about with, as film critics, like you mentioned that, you know, you, you'd like to see what I think about something. And that, that means a lot to me. Right. But deep down, I know when I'm making my criticism that I'm not really affecting necessarily who's going to go see what, because there are a lot of people that will read 10 or 12 shitty reviews of a movie and just go see it anyway. Still go. (laughs) So like there are just certain types of films that are not like, okay, if you make like a prestige picture or something, you're going to put out in the fourth quarter of the year, hopefully get some award nominations. Yeah, you better hope you get some good reviews because when people see a trailer with some motherfuckers on horseback and the, the classical music is swelling, they're not yeah. getting out of the house for that unless it's paired with the little croissettes in the bottom of the poster and the blurbs and the awards and stuff. Yes. So if you make a movie like that and you get bad reviews, yeah, you're fucked. But if you make Venom, let there be carnage, which... <laughs> Is even though like they're all of all the even all the positive reviews that movie are damning praise. It's like this is good for the piece of shit it is, you know. It's better than the original. <laughs> yeah, it's better than the last piece of shit. It's more lively. That movie made more money opening weekend in a pandemic than the first one did. Like that's fucking insane to me. We we had this we had this rule. We would go see we had like this really nice theater here with the food and all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. So that's where we wanted to see the first Venom. This is like oh, to God. match the shittiness of a movie, we go have a really great it's like really if fancy. I can get a massage while watching this bullshit, <laughs> I'm here for it. And the only thing we remember out of it was things that we say in conversation now, like when uh, Riz Ahmed was like, human trials, it was just like immediately to, or the fucking Eminem song, it's like Venom. Venom. <laughs> Venom, Venom, Venom. <laughs> she was like, it's if there's not another like, Venom song, I'm going to be really mad. They, they basically, like, there's a there's a way now where, uh, I've, been, I've been thinking about making a video about this, but I've not been able to get my thoughts together on it, but it's like, this year, the movies that I felt the most moved by and the movies that I was like the most into are all like, kind of shitty in certain ways <laughs> but <laughs> but they're so different and everything else is so homogenous that the different matters more to me than the quality if that makes sense where it's like okay. if i have a choice between seeing it's not like an ironic thing or i'm trying to be like contrarian it's more just like i can, I can watch three or four marvel movies back to back i might not know when they change i might think i'm still watching the same movie you know I what i mean you. yeah and like the the fact that there are still a few filmmakers who are being given money to do whatever they want for better or for worse yeah. just makes me happy. You know what I mean? Like, I don't care if this new Matrix movie is actually good or not. I don't give a shit. And it is being made. <laughs> I'm glad it's being made, man. Like, it might yeah. turn out to be kind of a mess, but I know it's going to be its own thing. I know it's not going to be just the same old bullshit, you know? So, like. I mean, the one, that's kind of what I want to say is like, if, if, if we're, I, I know we got way off the topic, but like, no, you're we're talking about how my consumption has changed. It's that like on some level, <laughs> being a film critic means you're like a person who like, like can't get off to like missionary anymore. You know what I mean? It's just like <sighs> being a film critic is kind of like, okay, I I'm getting into kink now. Like I need for me personally, I just need more than this. I can't, yeah. I can't get by on Shang-Chi anymore. Okay. I, I need, I need something. <laughs> Give me Nicolas Cage hunting Nazis or something. I need I needed to get weird for me to have a good time anymore. Well, and the funny thing is, this is how great you are at what you're doing. You've answered two other questions within that whole off fucking topic <laughs> thing. So that worked. It, it, like I'll say this before I move to my next question. One of the things that really gets me in some of the trailers that I see now, if the shit to your point about it being the kink thing, right? If mm. it's weird and it looks like well shot, well done. So some of those things I'm like, I'm going to pull up. Like I saw that. Yes. What is it? The movie, um, Titane. Oh yeah. So I haven't seen that yet. Yeah. I've heard it's good though. Like body horror, like sure. Mm-hmm. Just sign me up. And I saw a trailer for this movie that's by, um, a 24 called lamb. And like, Look. yeah, yeah. We opened that this weekend in my theater. I, I don't, again, don't even know what it's about, but you know what? It looks weird. I'm down. Yeah, I'm down. Looks for- weird. <laughs> I mean, I do a, I do a fire impression of what what is his name? Uh, was it Black Bill from fucking The Witch? <laughs> the, the, uh, oh wait, uh, Black Philip the goat? Yeah, Black Philip. Yeah. It's like yeah. deliciously. I'm like, I was like, can you fucking stop? I was like, no. <laughs> Are you? 
That man, uh, I mean, look, that, that, you know, that, uh, animalistic manifestation of Satan had some good points. Um, uh, yes, yes. We all should, serve, should seek to live deliciously, I think. Uh, join the dark order, as it were. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so let's, let's talk about gimmicks real quick. Um, pop culture has tried to make an attempt to right wrongs of uh, out of maybe a fear of being canceled or fear of at least being called out. What gimmicks in wrestling do you want to see go away? Like these things that tend to kind of pop back up, maybe it's loose writing. We need to have someone who's, eh, he might be, we, we're not going to say he's gay. We're just going to do a caricature of someone that was gay in like 1984. Like, uh, yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah, yeah. So actually, I actually have a weird opinion about this type of thing. So maybe my biggest failing as a pop cultural commentator is that I am so much more progressive probably in every medium I talk about so wrestling. Than wrestling. <laughs> wrestling is the one area where people will have conversations with me about something being like bad. And I'm like, I mean, yeah, but like, it's like, it's like the one part it's, and I, I fully acknowledge that this is like a weakness. I'm not, I'm not this trying to like, be proud of this shit, but like, this is great. No matter how like offensive or weird, like a wrestling thing is yeah. part of me always just rationalizes it because I grew up on wrestling and wrestling comes from just this very unique carny tradition yes. and it's very broad and, and ideally good, good, good pro wrestling should be big, broad, emotional ideas and storytelling that will make you spend money to see something in the future. Like, but straight up television, everything else is like to tell you a complete story to arouse your emotions, whatever wrestling yeah. though always has a specific point. It should make you want to see someone get their, their, their shit fucked up period. Like, can you, are you, know, you selling or, this ultimately? Yeah. Like also ultimately, ultimately all good wrestling stories should either be getting you to like cheer for an underdog and to see them win or to like see a guy you hate get hurt. Like there's, it's very primal. I think like when I watch wrestling, you know what I mean? And so while there are a lot of like shitty, terrible, mm -hmm. just like low down gimmicks that still happen to this day in wrestling, I can't jam with hit row. I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> okay. Okay. So I'll say this. I'll, I'll say this to me, a big part of whether or not I think a gimmick is offensive boils down to how much of that gimmick and character comes from the people that made it. So sure. like if a couple of black dudes like got given a, a hit row S gimmick yeah. and like, it was clearly like Vince McMahon's idea and it was very fake and weird and stuff, I would be more bothered by it. Yeah. But like, I know for a fact that the people in hit row, like helped develop that idea. It's like yes. their thing they want to be doing and they like it and they're proud of it. The only parts of it to me that, that feel, uh, not that don't work. Aren't the fact that it's like a little cringy. Cause like to me, almost all wrestling promos are, yeah. it's more the fact that most of them are very inexperienced. And they're still learning. So like, I just respect that. Like, Hey, when they get a little bit better at this and more comfortable at talking and stuff, this is going to be like a really money act. Uh, sure. in the meantime, parts of it are just very like, it's, so, sometimes their promos really do feel like, uh, like an, uh, AAVE like generator, like someone's just hitting a button, you know, uh, like, like, like how someone like, works the reggaeton air horn, but it's just like <laughs> facts, 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 you know, like just, like just saying stuff. Yeah. So like, I can't, but, but at the same time, it's like, to me, pro wrestling should ideally all pro wrestling gimmicks. I don't really like the, the kind of goofier, like, uh, hyper specific gimmicks that take a long time to explain to yeah. me, all the good wrestling gimmicks should just be that guy, but more. So like if a guy's yeah. gimmick is like, he's like a failed SoundCloud rapper or something. And like, <laughs> and he wants to, and like, he, that like, Hey, look, I'm a wrestler. I never made it as a rapper, but I want to incorporate rap into my wrestling. Sure. Yeah. Cause I imagine when the cameras aren't on, you're probably kind of like this. Just you're, you're rapping results, poorly you know? regularly. So yeah. So I'm like, sure. I don't give a shit. I feel like if you're, if you're a gimmick, cause you're a rapper, you don't have to be a really good rapper because you're not really a rapper. It's just your gimmick. The same way when I was a child, I didn't expect Duke the Dumpster Drozzy to be a good garbage man. I just <laughs> knew he came in body slam guys. I figured he was bad at the garbage thing because he wouldn't be doing this, you know? So, but no, uh, the, <laughs> to me, if I had to pick one, honestly, I really, really can't stand that Max Caster dude uh, on Dynamite. <laughs> Because, nice. because I, because I feel like it's, he's just doing very basic, like edgy shit. Yeah. And, and the reaction he's getting is so not genuine. It's just, it's, it kind of, I mean, 
I, I, I always ruffle feathers with this. I'm trying to tread lightly, but I also don't like MJF. I don't like people who are like very basic level cringe heels. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. The, all of the people who are watching are in on it, and they're all they all love this guy. And they're like yeah. fake booing along to it. And everyone's like, oh, he's yeah. such a good heel. He's such a great heel. Like he really makes us all boo. And it's like, well, you guys fucking love that guy. You'd follow him anywhere. You're getting you him on Twitter and Instagram. You buy his merchandise. You clearly don't actually fucking hate this guy. Yeah. Just because he comes out and is like, Cincinnati's bad. Everyone's like, yeah, it's not fair. I live here. I hate that shit. Because <laughs> it's like, I feel like, uh, there's a level of character work that no one is really doing in wrestling right at the moment that I think is probably going to kind of come out in the next couple of years that I, I figured was going to come out 10 years ago when the pipe bomb happened. I felt yeah. like when CM Punk cut that promo, I felt like the business was moving into the direction of sort of like kayfabe 2.0 of being like, okay, we know everyone knows this isn't real. We know everyone reads the dirt sheets. We know everyone is like obsessive with all the internet backstage stuff. Mm -hmm. So we're going to find the right way to incorporate that into what we're doing. We're going to, I don't know if you've seen high flying bird, the Soderbergh movie about basketball. Yeah. It's if you've never seen it, uh, unrelated to this conversation, you have to see it. It's incredible. It's like Steven Soderbergh as a lark made like an early Spike Lee movie on an iPhone. It's a really, really good movie. It's, it's, it's fantastic. It's about basketball, but there's a part in that movie where Bill Duke uses the phrase describing just the inherent exploitation of basketball, like how it works in the NBA. And he says, they made a game on top of the game. And that's how he describes it. So, so to me, good wrestling storytelling should be a con on top of the con. Like everyone in wrestling now knows it's not real, knows it's predetermined. And they're all invested, not in the stories they see on screen, but in the made up stories online and in the discourse and the, what they think is happening backstage, what the smart people mm -hmm. think. I yeah. think for wrestling to get really interesting again, like for real, for real, not just in terms of in-ring quality and good matches, which I love, is for guys to figure out how to work over that, how to work the people that think they're not getting worked, gotcha. uh, which is not hard, by the way, because the easiest person to work when it comes to wrestling is the guy who thinks he knows how it all works. Right. <laughs> the guy who turns to his friend and is like, that was real. That No, I know what really happened there or whatever. That guy, easiest person to, to fucking get. You know what I mean? Like, so yeah, I don't, I would not jettison any real gimmicks. I mean, I was just watching uh, Raw last night. Oh, and and uh, no, I, I, I hear you, but Raw has gotten better in the last few weeks. Like they've done some shakeup stuff and like they actually had some pretty fun, pretty fun stuff. I still wish it was not three hours, but, but they, they did like the big draft thing and they drafted uh, Apollo Crews to Raw with his, uh, with his African, um, like there's like that big guy he has. who's like his commander Aziz. Commander Aziz, is, I can't remember the guy's name. Yeah. And I, I've, I've never been that crazy on Apollo to begin with. I think he's like a solid guy, but like he was never yeah. going to be like more than that because he's not tall enough. Um, yeah. But realizing that his gimmick now is that he just talks like T'Challa, like yes. that's just his thing, is so funny to me. And like it should be offensive, but I'm like, I know that was his idea. You know, I and know he's he African. Like, he's African dude. He's, he's like, African, I want to do this. You know? And like yeah. the fact that they gave us the fact they gave us a feud with him and Big E. That was the wrestling equivalent of every time I'm in a lift with an African driver who clearly hates American black people. Like, <laughs> I was like, this is representation. I'm sorry. I don't, maybe to some people, this is weird or black on black crime. But to me, when Big E was like, like the promos they had and stuff, I was like, bro, that is how I feel when I walk by the Ethiopian <laughs> yeah. spot and they're leering at me because I'm from here. You know what I mean? And like, they're all nice to the white people, but not nice to the, the American blacks. Like, I feel that. I feel that diaspora war thing happening. So, so yeah, that's, that's, that's where I'm at with that. Okay. Um, so let's see where we're at. Uh, pretty much the rest of these are pop culture and wrestling related questions, but, uh, I'll, uh, but these are kind of rapid fire though. Okay, cool. If that works for you. Yeah. That works. Um, who's in your Mount Rushmore. So there's four wrestlers, Mount Rushmore wrestlers. Mm -hmm. Um, and you cannot, make multiple in, uh, entries from the same promotion. It's like, yeah, I want Ric Flair from WCW and NWA. Uh, okay. Yeah. I want, yeah. That's cheating. <laughs> like, that's, I want, that's just I cheating, want four yeah. versions of Rick Rude. No, um, that'd be great. I would, I would <laughs> so many stashes. No, uh, bam, bam, bam. My, my Mount Rushmore, uh, my Mount Rushmore in, in terms of like, like who I think is the most important in the business or like my personal taste, your, your personal taste. Okay. My personal taste. My four favorite wrestlers that I would point them out, Rushmore, and I actually would maybe even get this like tatted on me for real. Wow. Well, maybe not one of these people now, all things considered. But my four, That's I'm going to say uh, Bret Hart, 
Uh-huh. Shawn Michaels, because those are two, those are my two favorite wrestlers when I was growing up. I thought Shawn Michaels was the coolest. I, I thought Brett was just the best. Uh and uh I have to say Kevin Nash because okay. he's he's just he's a dog shit wrestler, but he's so fucking cool. And yeah. to me, that guy fully encapsulates like what the wrestling business is about. He's like like the ultimate pro labor guy. Like yeah. with without him and Scott Hall, guys do not have guaranteed money contracts. So like, to me, Kevin Nash is is James Kahn in Thief in wrestling. To me, like, that's yeah. I, I just love Kevin Nash. And, and the pop culture reference person, of he was super shredder yeah. too. So he yeah, did that exactly. as well. It, yeah, and he was in he's I mean great actor, actually, great yeah. great in Magic Mike XXL. Uh, <laughs> but um. My fourth wrestler has to come with a caveat. I can't discount how much I love and have always appreciated Ric Flair's work. And I think yeah. that there's so much about what I like about press and it comes from things he's done. But obviously if I was like getting this airbrush and a t-shirt, I would not put Ric Flair on it. You know, I just like, we, we've just come to a point in our society where we have to uh, accept the fact that this man has done a lot of creepy, not cool shit in his life. And the fact that he's this old and can't even own up to it is not a good look, in my opinion. Uh, so for argument's sake, I would replace him with Hiroshi Tanahashi, who is largely wholesome and an incredible wrestler in his own right, also a great champion, uh, and is maybe the only man in wrestling history to have better hair than Ric Flair. So those are my That's great. That's great. Um, let's see. Um, describe your dream project. Actually, this is just pop culture, whatever you would want to do. What's your, your dream project? I mean, I've really moving, moved away from it. I've always wanted to make films, actually, like write scripts and direct movies and stuff. And, you know, life gets in the way. Uh, but uh, something I always have wanted to do, because I'm a big wrestling fan, is I've always wanted to make like a long form, dramatic prestige TV show about the wrestling business, but not like, but about like the history of the business too. Sure. So something that would be like, sounds really stupid, but you know how The Wire is like, you have five seasons of that, and it's like a very comprehensive look at Baltimore as a city. And obviously yeah. a lot of people watch it and took all the wrong lessons from it. But like as a show, yeah. the structure of that show, like how it, it really picks apart like all these different elements of the city. I would love to do something like that with wrestling, but where it just covers the entire 20th century of pro wrestling. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And I don't know how many seasons that would take. It would probably be nonlinear. Cause I don't know how many seasons you could get of just like George Hackenschmidt in the 1910s or something. <laughs> but, um, I just always thought that would be so cool. Cause there's just so many interesting stories to draw from the history of that business. And so much of it feels relevant to today. So much of it, it you can tell an interesting story about capitalism too, just the way money affects things and stuff. And yeah, that's something I've always thought really cool. Um, okay. Movies. I know how people think I'm, I have a buddy who he will never, he's like, well, the thing is, it's like, just give me the fucking answer. Cause everyone knows everyone has a thing. What is the worst theatrical film you've seen? Like you've gone to see, and it doesn't have to be something you review, by the way. Yeah. No, no, I actually, I, I did end up making a video about this actually, but um, I, uh, it was, it's the, it's the green Hornet. It's the green Hornet that Seth Rogen did. Um, I saw it with one of my best friends and we went to the, we went to the movie and 20 minutes in maybe. And this is a friend that is not, I would not say has like highbrow taste or anything. It's not like I went with a guy who likes Godard. He turned to me and was like, do you want to get the fuck out of here? He was like, do you want to just leave? And he, we've never, I've never walked out of the movie in my life. And I didn't, I stayed the whole goddamn time, but it's the first time someone's ever said that to me. And I yeah. thought about it where I was like, we could just, we don't have to be here for this. We don't have to, we don't have to be a party to this. But no, I stayed and it sucked. <laughs> I think I think I'm a little older than you because mine's was in high school and it was Jason fucking X. Is that the one in space? Or no, yes. That is the one in space. Okay, yeah. It's so like when the <laughs> sex doll is like, I got a uh, I got a reboot or uh, no, she said I got an upgrade and she had guns and her titties were gone. I was like, what is this? Oh my like, god. What, I've actually what is never this seen bullshit. That. Uh the Friday the 13th franchise is one of the only horror franchises I didn't like plow through last year. Yeah. And it was because I was dreading watching the one where they go to space. I was like, I don't know if I need this in my life. It's, but now it's like I gotta check it out. It's really it's like 2002. It's bad. Uh <laughs> Now I, I enjoy the streaming platforms. I enjoy, um, like I said earlier, um, I watch shutter and I watch it's like cer cer certain shows, certain platforms, right? I might have the platform because I'm watching one show. Mm -hmm. So the, the, the platform in the show is, uh, Paramount plus and the show is evil. I actually enjoy evil. It was fucking tight. Oh yeah. I've heard it's good. Um, yeah. So 
is there one combination for you? Like it's a, you got that one streaming platform and it's like, I watched this one show on there. It's just one fucking show. I'll be honest. Okay. I'm going to be honest uh, because I don't have any shame is that I just pirate stuff a lot. I just, that's just not, I don't, <laughs> it's bad. And like, I know it's like illegal or whatever, but you know, mm-hmm. so slavery. Uh, so um, I just, uh, I said so slavery is it slavery is legal. I mean, slavery was legal. That was okay. So piracy is illegal. And it's probably fine. Uh, but no, I, if I had, if I had to pick one thing, I would say that like my, uh, my use of Disney plus has never been for more than one thing at a time. <laughs> so like, I don't use Disney plus for, it's always just whatever this, sh- like they always have one show on at a time. That's like the show everyone's talking about. Yeah. Yeah. So like whatever the Marvel show is or whatever star Wars show is, like, that's why, I, that's why I have Disney plus not even cause I like all that stuff or I'm like, like I need to have it, but it's like, yeah. this is about to be the most important thing in pop culture. Everyone's going to talk about it. I'm not going to understand a lot of memes. If I don't watch it, I'm not going to, it's like, I gotta, even if I don't yeah. enjoy, I mean, it's, it's also when I don't make videos about it, it's like the one thing I could watch. It's like, whatever, you know, yeah. like when I was watching the Mandalorian, that was my one time of a week where I could watch and just be like brain off. Just like, mm-hmm. Oh, look at the little baby. Look at the guns, look at the <laughs> space guns. And I'd be happy. So yeah, that's that. Um, okay. Now here's the last two. Uh, what, and again, like as brief as you can make it, um, because I, I, I like that brevity there. What are three things DC gets wrong about their films? Oh, that's actually really easy. One is that they took too long to adapt to the idea that they didn't need to mirror Marvel. They took too long to not, it's like, look, they, the, the way Marvel built the Avengers was perfect. We can't, we can't hate on that. It was, it was never done before. It's amazing. You guys did not do that. And you tried mm-hmm. to do it in an accelerated way. And you, tr- and fans did not, fans did not want what you guys were doing. And you didn't really pivot quickly enough to accept that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the other thing is that they have not fully capitalized on the multiversal stuff. Mm-hmm. And I think they didn't do it because they felt like, oh, well, fans aren't going to be able to accept there's more than one Batman. Uh, except wrong, because <laughs> Marvel now has has gotten Pete. Like, the thing that Marvel got right that DC didn't is that Marvel figured out, okay, we're going to train, like Pavlov style, our audience to accept exponentially weirder things. So, yes. like, okay. We're going to start with just Iron Man, guy in a suit. Okay, then Hulk, guy who gets mad and gets big. Thor, okay, now we're kind of getting, the, he's a god, and there's some magic stuff. You know, like Avengers, now they're fucking aliens. Like, okay, Guardians of the Galaxy, they're in space. Like, they kept upping the ante, yeah. and to the point that now they have the idea of the multiverse. Now they can now they can do a Spider-Man where there's three Spider-Men in it. You know, they can do all this stuff. DC didn't do a good enough job of, like, training people to accept those things they did on the tv side you know what i mean the tv Mm -hmm. side has good ideas but looks like dog shit and the movies are look amazing uh and then some of them don't work quite as well as others and i think this the big thing is like marvel because they were kind of first at this part of the game Mm -hmm. they created something that people now it's all they want so it's like it doesn't. the The third thing that I would I would say that DC, DC gets wrong, something that they get wrong, is just they didn't figure out how to carve out a believable alternative to Marvel. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yeah. Like even to the, even today, they're still spinning off new movies into HBO Max shows and stuff because that's kind of what Disney's doing. It's like you guys need to create something that's an alternative. If you know that the other people are doing one thing and it's wildly successful and you can't beat it. Don't try to do your version of that. Do your own thing. You know, mm-hmm. so that's how Eric Bischoff was briefly one of the Monday Night Wars. He knew he <laughs> couldn't do what Vince was doing. So they went edgier. They had more variety. They were longer. They, they had more fourth wall breaking, you know, and then eventually Vince had to do it too. So that's my thing. I think if the DC guys could just go, okay, you know what? Fuck it. We're making what we want to make. Here's how we're going to do it. And we're going to yeah. stick to that. Who gives a shit what they're doing? I think they would attract a different kind of audience for the people who are sick of Marvel. Cause that exists. There are people who are just over yeah. that shit. Uh, so that's the thing they got to, they had to commit to that. And I don't think they're going to sadly. And, and you know, that's, that's very fair. And that's very similar to what I was saying. I was like, they keep kind of pump faking 
as to what they want to commit to and what they want to do. And you can go with the lane of when, when people say, oh, well, rated R superhero movies or comic book movies don't really work. But then you see examples of where it does work in a financial way. Now, granted, it's not going to be billions of dollars, but it's going to be high hundreds of millions of dollars. And it's like, look, you can do something with that. You can go Docker. Also, don't insult your people. Like, when you see like everybody has Instagram, everyone has all of this shit. So when you see years ago that there's a black Superman suit and you have executive saying it didn't exist, it's like, look, you're insulting the people who are looking for this shit, craving this shit. Yeah. And so much of that too is like, it's not even necessarily like, Oh, well, DC's making bad decisions. It's like Warner brothers, AOL time Warner, like this big corporate conglomerate yeah, yeah. that was going through all these changes. And the DC films are just like along for the ride, you know? Uh, cause right now I tell you what, man, if next year, I mean, they're putting out some stuff that people are going to be excited about. They're going to have a flash movie where we're going to have Michael Keaton, Batman and Ben Affleck, Batman at the same time. I'm stoked for that. I'm looking forward but to they, it, yeah. but they can do whatever the fuck they want. They can make, they're, they're going to make a black Superman movie. Sure. Make a black Superman movie. You can make that. You can make a regular, not regular, but you can make a, a traditional Superman movie. You can <laughs> regular make Superman a movie. regular Superman movie. <laughs> the one you know a complete like, alien. Like, yeah. Like you do, do whatever the fuck you want. Like you can have like Marvel has gotten to the point where if they want to make like a squirrel girl movie, it's going to open at number one at the box office. That's crazy. I mean, look at the it is kind of if if the shows are an extension of the movie because they have the budget, they look like the movies, all of that different shit. And to your point, that's definitely what popped in my head about how it's getting progressively more not necessarily edgy, but they're kind of extending. It, it's stretching as rubber band like you had. I don't watch stuff that's in black and white. And I thought the entire season of WandaVision was going to be in black and white. I missed up the first two or three episodes. And then the show just gets to this point where it's just fire or, you know, you you're heavy on the multiverse, the multiverse and the stuff with like Loki. And I call, uh, because I'm, I'm a jerk. I call it, um, for what is it? Falcon and the winter soldier. I call it, um, Falcon and N word. And <laughs> <laughs> my girl's like, it's just funny. And that's what she calls it now. <laughs> It's, it is funny. So, it's fucking hilarious. Yeah, it's, it's, the, show is, the show is a mess. <laughs> and, you know, I was like, why well, in Baltimore and the first place to go to is prison? I was like, this is bullshit. <laughs> um, so last question that I have, and this is wrestling finishing moves. Mm-hmm. Now, granted, there might be a slight difference into how these uh, moves are done, but I want you to tell me what your preference is between these two very, it's a group, but two very similar moves. Okay. Scorpion Deathlock or Sharpshooter? All right. So the, the, the Sharpshooter wins uh, <laughs> yeah. for two reasons. All right. Thing one is that when Sting would do the Scorpion Deathlock, uh, which I'm pretty sure Sting picked it up from a Japanese wrestler, but I can't remember who, who like, I think actually like, innovated it. Um, cause I can't remember, I can't remember the specific name for what they call what the moves like really called, but it's what yeah. Excalibur always says when anyone does it. Cause like, that's yeah. how he is. Yeah. Um, but when, when sting does it, I've never seen sting lock on the scorpion Deathlock and been excited. I like <laughs> sting and I've liked, I like the stinger splash. I like the scorpion mm-hmm. death drop. I like sting just being around doing sting things, mm-hmm. but never in a sting match has he gone to put it on and I get hype every time I'm like, okay. That's fine. When Brett it's called the Sasori Gatame. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. Uh, it, when Brett is even touching someone's ankles. Because <laughs> you know it's because you know Brett is a technician and you know he can get it in any way. Like this is great. When, when Brett does the sharpshooter, <laughs> I, I was rewatching Brett Austin from WrestleMania 13 the other day. I'm I'm literally wearing tights. I'm wearing the Brett Hart like you can't see, but like I see it. I see it. Like I'm literally like I'm, I'm breaded the fuck out right now. Um, but when Brett, every time he was about to put the sharpshooter on, they would tease it. A finisher is not just a cool move. A finisher is a, a set of expectations. Yes. So when you know someone's finisher, they can create drama out of them going for it. That's the whole point. If you have a finisher that looks like shit and you can't create drama out of like, you know, a fireman's carry, who cares, you know, yeah. but the sharpshooter is always, and, and, I, and I specify that being Brett's cause like the rocks is really bad. Uh, Natalia the shit shooter. Really yeah. But, yeah, the shit shooter. But when Brett does it and when he locks it on, he sits his ass down in the guy's ass. And just like so many great moments in wrestling history have been in that sharpshooter. You know what I mean? So to yeah. me, yeah, sorry, Sting. Nah. That, that, that look of like Austin, his face bleeding and he's yeah, in the sharpshooter. It's, it's such it's, a great visual. Could have done that with Sting. Um, Could not have done that with Sting. Sting just, no. 
Never. Sorry, Steve. That's, that's one for the good guys. Uh, <laughs> um, RKO or Diamond Cutter? That's... Or Ace Crusher. I would say RK. Well, I'd say RKO because the Ace Crusher, watching Johnny Ace do that move is always weird. He always looks bewildered that he even did it. He always comes <laughs> up looking confused, like, oh shit, I won. Uh, and DDP always got too excited about the different ways you could do the diamond cutter. Yes. So sometimes they got kind of elaborate. And I was like, all right, guy. We He's marking it. out on himself a little bit. Yeah. Like, can you believe I pulled that off? We're like, yes. Yes, you we did. Good job. <laughs> but Randy has has done so many he randy's gotten the rko over in a way that i think is even more than the diamond cutter like when sure. kids when you see kids doing rkos on each other on the internet they're not calling it a diamond cutter all right that's true like they're that's they're, true. They're, they're they're using the rko out of nowhere audio in the background of their video yeah. uh and i think i think randy's uh and as much as a star that big can be underrated i think randy's kind of underrated and i think just the way he executes mm. it I've never seen him do a bad one in like what twenty yeah. years almost, you know. So yeah, yeah. that's that's my words. The the WrestleMania one against Sean, uh, Seth Rollins still like my favorite. And it's like special effects. That one's like literally like CGI or something. Like just the they had to <laughs> like, get out with the wire or whatever. It's it's incredible. Um, Styles Clash. This is hilarious. Styles Clash from Faith <laughs> Faith Breaker. <laughs> Styles Clash. That's 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 not even hard. Um, rock bottom or bookend. I mean, the rock bottom just because he did it better. Because remember when Booker decided to start doing the bookend <laughs> in that little feud during the invasion? It was, was terrible. Like, Bro, have you never seen the literal biggest presser in the world do his finisher before? Did you just never watch the show? <laughs> was it, I couldn't tell if he was doing it bad on purpose. Like, if that was, like, an insult that he was doing it. I didn't. No. No, thank you, Booker. And I love, <laughs> I love me some Booker T. I love King Booker. But, no, nah, that was gnarly. King Booker. Uh, the last one I have. And you can, because so many wrestlers have done this finishing move, mm-hmm. you can you can pick whoever you have in mind uh, for it. And then it might be Goldberg, it might be uh, Edge, um, Spear, or the Gore. Okay, so this is actually a good one. Uh, almost everyone that uses the Spear as a finisher to me is lame. I don't like Edge's Spear. I only have ever liked it when he was feuding with Ziggler because it looked cool. Because Ziggler yeah. was getting shot in the stomach with a gun. He was overselling uh, the fuck out of it. Just like... <laughs> Ragdoll imploded. <laughs> but he had like it's the ragdoll physics, and then it's the landing like someone on Family Guy when they yeah. get hit by a car or something. <laughs> yes. Like he had that shit on lock. Um, but I don't like Edge's spear. I like Roman spear, but that's just because I'm like a Roman mark. Like I like everything oh, Roman wow. does. I love yeah. Roman so much, but no, the gore for me because Rhino looks like a person I don't want charging at me with his his heavy center mass like puck from Alpha Flight. And mm-hmm. then his his T Rex arms Stop it. just tuck in under his body. He just he's built like Ram Man from Masters of the Universe, <laughs> and he just yeah that no Rhino's gore is always great because in my head when he does it I hear Heyman yelling gore. Yeah, yeah. So like even though he I mean not anymore obviously I think he's an Impact now, but if he, he gores someone on Impact I would still hear Paul gore gore. I just I love it. Like there's there's one particular gore. I don't know who was on. It might have been like Christian or something where he did it into like a steel, I don't know what you call it, but you bring like a steel thing down over like a, like a storefront, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah like the like gate, yeah. closed. It was one yeah. of those in the back of an arena. He did it to him into that. And like it didn't break, obviously, because it's like steel, but it looked so cool. I was yeah. like, oh man, Rhino's not good for anything else other than like pile driving women through tables in the gore. And, uh, you know, one of those is, is actually enjoyable to look at and one is really uncomfortable. So gore all the way. I... Yes, I, I think that is the right answer. Uh, I, I agree with that one. I completely with, glossed over Goldberg, didn't I? Yeah, but that was my Goldberg, one caveat. So. <laughs> because <laughs> Goldberg marks out so crazy for it. After and doing it, yeah. And because he's a he's a football player, it's like, oh shit. Like, he just killed this person. But, I'm trying to think of, and the thing is, he had a lot of, like, great, the gore he did on Hogan when he won the belt was pretty good. Yeah, even though Hogan didn't sell it that well, the one he did earlier in the night against Scott Hall, uh, or I guess it might be the week before. I can't remember if it was the same night or night. That one was really good. Yeah. I just watched him. Who did I just watch him gore? He gored somebody on Raw. I think it was like Cedric Alexander or something, because because uh, mm-hmm. he's feud, he's feuding with Bobby Lashley now to to honor. They'd have Goldberg coming out every week, literally telling saying he's going to murder Lashley on TV. Like yes, and I'm like, are you going to do that shit, bro? Like he's literally talking about like oh. 
your kids your kids will be orphans I'm like that's not okay Rob, touch my son gage goldberg is my son is like, like Lashley's kids are like kids your kids like about to go to college man You're, grow up bill not cool. yeah, yeah bill he tried he tried to try to put him in a in a chokehold bill what are you doing <laughs> so bad so yeah that's that's literally all i have and this this is the marathon cast so yes oh, hell sorry. yeah no 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 this is great um so i'd like to invite um any guests that i have on to uh shamelessly plug so plug your youtube plug your socials and thank oh, you yeah, so yeah. Much. plug time okay yeah so uh, i'm on youtube my channel's called the armchair tour uh i put out videos i try to put out videos every week uh, this month was very bad for that, but in general, I try to put at least one video a week, so I always have stuff on there. You can follow me on Twitter at All New Dom. Uh, it's supposed to be kind of like All New X Men, sort of, but uh, I'm on there and I share anything I do there. Um, and then I'm on Instagram. My channel is at The Armchair Outdoor. And then uh, I primarily right now you can see a lot of my stuff on Looper.com. So if you just go into the the review section of their site, like a third of it's me. Uh, yeah, that's where I'm at. So I want to thank you, Dom. This has been fantastic. All of the fun. Um, and yeah, for uh, for the super talented and entertaining Dom Griffin, I am Rob Lee saying that there's art in and around Baltimore. You just got to look for it. <laughs> <laughs>